First place is Psalm 95, and then Ephesians chapter 3, which is our uh, text of the book that we're currently going through, the blueprint of the church that we're looking at in Ephesians. So Ephesians 3 is one place, but first turn to Psalm 95, and we'll read two verses in Psalm 95, and then we'll uh, move back over to Ephesians. If you're visiting with us, we're going verse by verse to the book of Ephesians. Uh, this Wednesday night, I'll get back into the book of Proverbs. And, um, and the rest of the Wednesday nights are actually kind of special Wednesdays. Uh, we've got a prayer, we got a worship service coming after that, a prayer service after that. And then Adam's Road. And by the way, about Adam's Road, yes, their testimony is incredibly powerful. Uh, Micah Wilder uh, was the youngest altar boy in the Mormon tabernacle. I mean, the, the big temple out there. In, um, in Utah. He, he's a modern-day Apostle Paul. He really is, in the sense of he had more zeal for Mormonism than his peers. And now he's been used to win many. And by the way, because Mormonism, it, its structure uh, it is, is such that they've actually had really good success talking to Muslims as well. Uh, because the mosque and the temple have some similarities, and I, I don't have time to get into that, but, but uh, just the structure of Islam and the structure of Muhammad the prophet and Joseph Smith the prophet, believe it or not, when they talk to Muslims, Muslims really connect with former Mormons as well. So if you have Muslims that you want to invite to a Adams Road night, uh, do it. Really invite anybody. <laughs> it's just a great night. We're going to have a, a good time, a fellowship, but then they're going to really share and minister. But with your Bibles open, back to our text, uh, Psalm 95 Starting with verse 6, we'll just read verses 6 and 7. It says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Now turn over to Ephesians. Keep that, those words in mind. Come, let us worship and bow down and kneel before the Lord our Maker. He's our God. We're the people and the sheep of His pasture. And then Paul writing to the Ephesians. He's actually writing a prayer. He's panning a prayer. And it's, we're going to pick it up where we left off in verse 14, verses 14 through 21. Again, keeping Psalm 95 in mind, come let us bow down before the Lord and listen to what Paul says here in this prayer that he's penned in the 14th through 21st verse. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit and the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and you may, may be rooted and grounded in love. You may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge or surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church. To Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. To all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now you can see Paul was writing not just to the Ephesians, but to us, to all generations. This is well beyond the church in Ephesus. Amen. Lord, we pray once again that these words now from the Psalms and your servant Paul, Lord, would speak to us, lead us into this study by your Spirit. May we leave this place different and transformed than we came in. In your name we pray, amen. So many people in this world have a completely wrong notion of God. And many people's notion of God is that God wants to make their lives miserable, I think some Christians even have this mindset, that he's distant, that he's unconcerned, that he doesn't answer prayer, that he wants your money, which he doesn't, that he wants your devotion, that he wants to rob you of any happiness or any success. Even Christians at times, all of us, we struggle with, we struggle with what God is doing in our life when there are things that we don't understand in our life. You ever had that? What's God doing? I don't understand this. We find ourselves uh, sometimes questioning the purposes and the intent of God in our lives. 
But here, Paul lays out in this prayer, in his desire for the Ephesian church, and for that matter, the entire church for all of time, and every size fellowship anywhere in the world, anyone that's part of the body of Christ, what he is praying to God here is that God will do these things that he's praying in the life of each believer and in the life of the church. And the prayer is a heart-lifting list of blessings. Did you, did you hear the list? It's a heart-lifting list of blessings to be bestowed on the individual believers as well as us as a collective body. And Paul isn't, he isn't making up this prayer or making up this list. This prayer is reflecting God's heart. And it's given to him by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit gives Paul this prayer, and Paul prays it back and writes it down. In other words, this is God's desire for the Ephesian church. It's God's desire for you. It's God's desire for me. And everyone that names the name of Christ is their Lord and Savior. So no matter what season of life you find yourself in here this morning, we can be assured that God is for us and he wants to bless us and transform us. Now, you can't have one without the other, by the way. Did you hear that? A lot of people want God's blessing. They don't want his transformation. You can have his transformation and his blessing, but you can't have, well, I just want the blessing. And that's why, you know, bumper sticker, God bless America. You might want to add and transform us to that bumper sticker. <laughs> Because he does want to bless us. Do you believe God wants to bless you? But in the context of his will, Jesus said, thy will be done. Would anyone think the cross was a blessing? Is it a blessing? Of course it's a blessing. Without it, there is no blessing. So God wants to bless us and transform us. Even the list bears this out. Paul is saying, God wants to do for you exceedingly more than you can even think of. Let's think about this. All of our thoughts collectively that we've ever thought, God says, you haven't even scratched the surface. Collectively, all of our thoughts. But there's a condition to this. And Paul states here that he bows the knees. You see, there's a surrender that's needed for the promises to flow. A surrender first, then the promises will flow. I mean, you can, you can, have, you can have spigots, but if they're not connected to county water, nothing's coming out. Oh, I got the spigot and everything. It looks great. It's the Delta's greatest, newest look. It's got to be connected. Now, this humbling, this surrender, it's often manifested physically, literally bowing our knees. But it starts where? It starts in the heart. If we've bowed our hearts before the Lord, the actions and the obedience of our life will follow. If we've centered our heart, obedience, actions of obedience, will necessarily follow. And then the power of God will follow that. Does anyone want the power of God? You ever read the stories in the Bible and say, wow. They're not just stories. They're real. Some people experience this kind of power. Jesus promised this in Acts 1.8. Matthew 4.19, John 14.12. If you'd like to write verses down and go back and read them, most of you should know Acts 1.8. But Matthew 4.19, John 14.12, and other places in his ministry, he promised great power to his followers. The church for most of America is pretty powerless because it wants blessing but not surrender. If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled our time in the Word, If We're Willing to Bow. Oh, if we're willing to bow, God will blow the doors off of what could be done in us individually and collectively. If we are, we're going to have to wait patiently. But if we're willing to wait patiently, we will, all caps, will begin to see the greatness of God, the supply of God, and the fullness of God come into our lives. But we have to be honest. We have to be honest. Is this what we really want? Do we really want the fullness of God? The children of Israel didn't. Moses did, didn't he? Moses did, but the children of Israel didn't. They're like, no, no, no we don't want to go that. We don't want to get too close. 
We know with certainty that it's God's desire to give us his fullness, but do we want to be in agreement with his will, or do we want to be in agreement with our own will? Are we willing to bow and surrender? Are we, as F.B. Meyer used to say, willing to be made willing? That's a great place to start. Lord, I'm not really willing, but I'm willing to be made willing. Before we look specifically at the work God is waiting to do, we need a little self-assessment, a little self-examination. Paul says in the text right here out of the verse 14 at the beginning, for this reason. Now when you see that, when you see that in your Bibles, for this reason, it's referring back to the previous verses. Anytime you see that in your Bible. Anytime you see a therefore, you want to find out why it's therefore, right? It's the previous verses. It's the context of what's being said. For this reason, what Paul is saying, Paul has responded to the love of God, and because God had loved him first, he's saying, for this reason, for God first came to me, I'm responding now back to the Lord. Have we responded to the Lord? I want to give a couple of questions here we can look at together. The first one is this. Have we appreciated and appropriated the great grace of God? Have we appreciated and appropriated the grace of God? What does this mean? Have we bowed down in repentance and asked God for mercy? Did you bow at some point and receive the miracle of salvation? That's what this, the first, if we've not been saved, then the list that Paul's praying can't apply to us. This is not just any, well, anyone on the street, hey, either an atheist, God right now just is going to give you power to preach. They have to first surrender to the Lord, right? So first, have we, have we appropriate, appreciated? Uh, the reason why we get saved is we see that it really is good news, gospel, good news, and we've responded, we appreciate it, and we say, this is what I need, and we bow and repent. And the second question here, are we still bowing in appreciation? Notice Paul's present posture. Verse 14 again. For this reason, I used to bow. Is that what it says? What does your Bible say? For this reason, way back when I was excited about my salvation, I used to bow down. For this reason, 10 years ago, at a really awesome service, I bowed down. No. What does it say? For this reason, I bow my knees. This is the present state of Paul's heart. This is the continuous state of his heart. We're not re-saved, but we are to be continually bowing. Do you guys agree with that? You think that's my words, or do you think that's what Paul is conveying here? For this reason, I bow. This is the, this is the life of his life, the heart of his life. And then the last one here. Have we understood and responded to the greatness of God, the goodness of God, the sovereignty of God, and the authority of God? Because a lot of people say God's name, but he holds no place of authority in their life. They've not understood him as good. They've not understood him as great. This is the rub with many who name the name of Christ, this last question here. Well, the second question is quite uh, connected to it, but this is the rub with many that claim to be believers. They can say, yes, I bowed my heart to be saved. Jesus is my Savior, but shepherd, king, master, um, not so much, right? Savior, yes. All these other things that mean authority and lordship, Many, if they were completely honest, would have to admit that they have more tangible loyalty, appreciation, and enthusiasm for their employer than they do for the God that gave them the employer. Your employer doesn't exist without God. Your employer is a person like you that God has given a heartbeat to. But people have more appreciation, loyalty, and enthusiasm. If the, if the boss says jump, they'll say how high. God says jump, they don't even hear it. Many people have far more healthy respect and responsive to a police car behind them than the Spirit of God in them. Think about it. 
There's no fear of the Lord, oftentimes. God, who's a thousand times more patient than a police officer. I, I have great respect for our officers. You know, be praying for them. Some have been ambushed. We've got some bad apples out there and pray that they're removed too. I get both sides of that and both those situations need prayer. But here's the thing. Most law-abiding citizens with police cars behind them decide not to go 120 at that moment. Right? And if you do have an officer behind you and you, you're just doing the right thing, and all of a sudden their lights come on, most people don't say, I ain't pulling over. Who does he think he is? I'm going to go ride to California right now. Just going to keep on and uh, just going to keep riding along. But the stark reality is a lot of people, you know, have that kind of healthy respect for that position of authority. But God's been tailing them for years with his lights on. And they've yet to pull over. And because God's more patient than officers, they think they can do this forever and ever and ever and ever. And I don't need to bow down. I don't need to pull over. Hey, God, keep rolling the lights. They're beautiful. I'm not pulling over until I get to my destination. When I get there, you can join me for lunch. Many have not yet surrendered to Christ. I'm not even talking about just salvation, although that's a different question, a whole theological discussion that I don't have time to get into. But he holds no real place of authority in many people's life. There's no love for God because there's... Why is there no love for God? Because there's no appreciation for him. There's no respect for him. There's no holy reverence. We don't even use the word holy in the church anymore. But there's no holy respect. There's no holy reverence for God. And here's the dead-end street or the spiritual cul-de-sac that many people find themselves sitting in, even in churches. Many would say, and they do say in their minds, whether they say it verbally or whether they say it consciously, they're saying it in their minds in some respect, I'll love and worship God when I better understand his nature and his plan for me. Then I'll love and worship him. But it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. We, um, we bow and surrender and worship God because he commands it. Let me say that again. We bow and worship God not because we understand everything, not because he's revealed everything, even that we appreciate everything. We bow and worship because he's commanded it. Then, and only then, when we bow, guess what? We'll begin to understand his nature. We'll begin to experience his love. We'll begin to grow in his love. And the desires that Jesus wants us to have will start to all of a sudden bubble up in our life. It's the obedience first. See, if you had a burning bush experience like Moses did, Moses bowed down before. He had no concept of what God was about to ask him, did he? Didn't make any sense. Take off your shoes, all right? Why? Did he say why or did he just do it? He did it. Because when a bush is on fire and it's not burning, that gets your attention, doesn't it? But God says, I've given you the word. I'm not giving you a burning bush. I'm giving you a living Bible. And if you won't listen to a living Bible, you wouldn't listen to a burning bush, believe it or not. We really wouldn't. We think we would. We think, well, we, well if I got that, then I really would respond with humility. No, Moses was already, he was already ready to obey God. So he believed. He had some fears. Pharaoh could take off my head, right? But he bows down, and then he starts to understand. He goes on the next 80 years of his life to experience God in ways that no other human being perhaps ever had. Twice he fasted 40 days on the top of a mountain with no food or water. You don't live by that, by anything but the bread of heaven. Amen? But he had to obey first. And as we go briefly through this list that the Spirit gives Paul in prayer, ask yourself, ask yourself, seriously, do I even want these things? Now, even if you say no, say no to your no. Because, hey, Lord, I know this is right. Your word is true, whether no matter what my flimsy feelings feel like. It's my prayer that you will desire these things. If you don't, that's a sign that you're not bowed in surrender. I can promise you that these things are worth more than platinum. They're worth more than gold. They're worth more than diamonds. But they begin to flow from God and become our heart's desire when we fall on our face in gratitude 
in worship, and in surrender. Let's look at the first one in this list. Strengthen. Paul says here, uh, we don't even hit 15. We've talked about the family of heaven and the fact that uh, the body of Christ, we've been made one in the family of God. But verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Do you want to be strengthened? Do you want to be strengthened? Easy answer is yes, but you have to understand the strength Paul's talking about here. The easy answer is everyone says yes. Who doesn't want to be stronger? I want to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger did in 1976, right? Not the way he looks now. It's kind of scary now. But uh, sorry, Arnold. I know you're a good. You know, uh, you're trying like everybody else. We're all aging, and but see, God is not promising here new speed, new strength. New agility, that's not, that's not what's being promised. Many would quickly take God up on physical strength. If God says, hey, I'm going to give you the kind of strength Samson had. Yes, I'm clearing bar rooms now if I have to. You know, that kind of thing. Boundless physical energy. Who wouldn't take boundless physical energy? A better looking and fit body. People would want that. Physical strength, all these things, but that's not what's being offered here. You're going to have to wait for till heaven for those things. In heaven, you'll have endless physical energy. You'll have the body you've always dreamed of. You won't have migraines. You won't have flu. You won't have any of this stuff. There'll be no arthroscopic surgeries or anything like that. But here's what we know for certain about this area of blessing and provision. It's for the inner man. That's what he says. That you would be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Now, some would say, was that the soul or is that the spirit? Well, this question has been raging for... I, I've, re, I've started to research this. I've really become, Lord, teach me, incorporate as I teach. There's a lot of theological discussion about the spirit and the soul and the body and the mind and the heart. And the, did you know in the Bible they're used interchangeably sometimes? You've got to get to the Greek and the Hebrew and which one means which. And even when you do, you're still like, is this soul or spirit, Lord? Here's what I know. Does this inner man involve the solar spirit? Yes. I believe it involves both. But the direct center of the blessing, I believe, is poured out in the spirit. It's the spirit where God can reveal just enough light that we know we need to be saved. Then the soul is transformed. But the inner man, our soul and spirit are both part of the inner man. Neither your muscles, right, your body, your physique, that's not the inner man. That's the outer man. God says he wants to strengthen the inner man. And the, the direct center, he pours it out in our spirit by the Holy Spirit, then this impacts the soul, and it even impacts the body, but not necessarily in the way we would draw it up. It will affect your body, but it'll affect your body to go and do the things of the Lord, not to become, oh, everything I saw in Muscle and Fitness magazine. This is spiritual power that the world can't have. This is the power that allowed Jesus, this, this is the power that allowed Jesus to sit, sleep sound asleep on the boat when everyone else was freaking out. That's power, isn't it? You think, now no one else in the world would describe that as power, someone sound asleep. But when you see fishermen who have fished their entire lifetime, have been through raging storm, and they are petrified, and Jesus is sawing logs down in the because he had a power in the inner man. And he said, I know my father's in control. When you start to have that kind of faith, the world will notice, how are you at rest right now? How are you able to do this? It's an inner strength. This is the power that allowed Peter to step out of a boat and notice that he did see a physical impact. He walked on water. He's the only person to ever do it other than Jesus. But where did it come from? Not his physical body. He had all of a sudden an instantaneous inner man faith. He took that step. Spiritual power. It's a renewed mind. It's a growing confidence in God. It's a growing confidence in God. It doesn't happen overnight. You've got to continue to walk in the Lord. And this growing confidence in God it's a guarantee for every single believer. It's not just reserved for Peter's and Paul's and Daniel's, Joseph's and great men of the Bible. It's not just reserved for them. Any believer that endeavors to pray, any believer that endeavors to read and study the Word and then apply it in our life, 
then we can actually see the inner man start to be fed and strengthened. Over time, the outward and physical will fail. We all agree with that, right? Many of you say, well, it's failing right now. I've had a failing week in the body, right? I hope you bounce back this week. But regardless, the physical will fail and get weaker and weaker. In fact, no one wants to hear this, by the way, but I, I have to bring the truth of what God has revealed many times in the history of the world and the Bible, and even in my own life. In fact, God may purposely weaken you physically to strengthen you internally. This does not sell many books. It doesn't. This does not hit the New York Times bestseller. God will weaken you physically to strength. You ever remember Jacob? God tweaked his hip for life. But look, we've all, he had 12 sons that turned around, and at that time they weren't following God. They all turned around. You say, would I be willing my hip to be tweaked that none of my kids would ever go to hell? I would hope you'd say yes. But you can't say yes until your inner man can say yes. Does that make sense? You can't just say yes logically because you won't think in those in your physical turn. But when this inner man starts to crave the things of the Lord, then you'll say, Lord, I want the inner man fed even if the outer man doesn't look so good. He may do this. You'll then crave. By the way, when your body becomes weak, you will start to crave spiritual things. Like you, like you didn't before. You see, only the inner man can connect with the Son of Man. I'll say that again. Only the inner man can connect with the Son of Man, but only in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. The inner man can't have a connection with the Son of Man, which is Jesus, unless the Holy Spirit is brokering that depth and that nourishing. And that work brings power, it brings peace, it brings perseverance. We've got to move on to the next one here, rooted. Paul says in the next verse here that... Uh, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you may be rooted and grounded in love. As Pastor Chuck used to say in regarding how God works with the body of believers, um, God works with us as a garden, not a factory. Factory is just mass producing, but God, each individual plant in the garden, God is tending, right? Tending the plant, pruning all this work that we would do what? John 15, 5, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. It's a symbiotic relationship. If we're abiding in Christ, he's abiding in us. By the way, he'll never kick us out. We would have to say, I want out. I don't want this anymore. But he will never kick us out. And as long as we stay, he will abide in us. And we'll abide in him. And we just say, Lord, I'm not going to leave. I love what Peter said. Lord, to where else would we possibly go? You're the only one that has the words of eternal life. Why would we ever stop abiding with you? But this is where we'll grow. This is the progression of the strengthened inner man. Then, once that inner man becomes stronger and stronger in the Lord, our faith grows. Faith grows on faith. And our deeper faith increases our desire for Christ because deeper faith connects us with God's heart and God's mind. And then we start to have this deeper desire for Christ and to dwell in him. Even our desire to dwell in him grows. And then the fruit starts to come, and the greatest of the fruits of the Spirit is what? Love. The greatest of all, that we would actually grow in love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if we have everything else and have not love, it profits us what? Nothing. But we'll grow in love. In John 15, 9, I already quoted John 15, 5, but a few verses later, Jesus goes on to say this. He says, that the Father loved me, so I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in that love. It's impossible to stay rooted and grounded in Christ and not become more loving. That's a good thing, isn't it? Because if the church doesn't become more loving, I don't care who you are, we'll offend someone, we'll step on toes, we'll get in each other's way, and we'll have division. And if you don't believe it, just look inside your own family. You have kids? You think they love each other? Do you think at times it looks like they despise one another? But love has to rebuild the bonds. And so Paul is saying that when you're rooted in the Lord, love will overcome a multitude of infractions. And it really will. Because we are going to fail one another. There's going to be uh, mistakes and there's going to be 
um, things that were overlooked. But if you are rooted in Christ, you can't help but become more loving. It's kind of like sitting on the beach here in the middle of summer. Has anyone been to the beach yet this year? You cannot go to the beach without sand getting everywhere. You're like, I did everything to keep sand off me. It's impossible. It'll blow on you. Somehow it gets on you. Like you're getting in the car in January, you're finding sand. You're like, where did this come from? Well, you spend some time with Jesus, and his love starts to latch onto you no matter where you're at. becomes part of the deal. We sit with Christ. We'll take on his love. We'll, but we have to be patient and stay there and get rooted and get grounded and stay in the word. And in, we're in the word. Then that love starts to flow, and we pray the scriptures back to the Lord. Take a look at the next one. Expanded. He goes on to say, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. It's expanded. This love of Christ that passes all of our knowledge. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses six, uh, verse 16, it says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now that verse, sometimes you're saying to yourself, especially if you're a Christian, you're like, man, I don't feel like I have the mind of Christ. Do you ever feel like you don't have the mind of Christ? I have. I'm even trying to have the mind of Christ. But this is happening where? Because the Holy Spirit has been placed within us. Because the Holy Spirit's there, we have the capacity to actually be given the kind of thoughts that God thinks towards the world. I, I'm not saying that this doesn't make you become God. This is, that's I'm saying if God so loves his enemies, that thought cannot be transferred to you from yourself. It has to come from God. Does that make sense? You will not naturally love your enemies. I will not naturally love your enemies. God naturally loves his enemies because he's full of grace, mercy, and love. We cannot have that kind of thought process unless God transfers it to us. That makes sense? The Spirit speaks to our spirit. So we can have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ because we're saved and we have the indwelling of the Spirit. But the mind of Christ has to be cultivated in our life. And you don't hear that word cultivated life, but people that are in gardening or people are in the farming, they know cultivation is very important for plants to reach their full potential and sometimes to grow at all, right? Some plants, if they're not cultivated, they'll never bear fruit. They have to be cultivated. Hebrews 11.6 says, He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Cultivation takes diligence. It takes a commitment. Cultivation takes time. But with cultivation comes life and growth. Just like certain trees, they have a tremendous capacity for growth, tremendous capacity for certain fruit, but again, they have to be cultivated, has to be intentional. We have to intentionally say, Lord, I'm going to invest in my spiritual walk that I might expand and grow in what it is that you want me to grow in. I don't even know all the time what, what areas God wants me to grow in. I told you a few weeks ago, as John Piper said, you know, God's doing 10,000 things in our life. We're lucky if we know three, right? And that's true. But when we're cultivating our walk with the Lord, he reveals even the three. You wouldn't even know the three if it wasn't for the Lord. I wouldn't either. God reveals that to us. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. We are not near we're actually not spiritual at all unless God makes a spirit by breathing his spirit in, but then connecting his spirit with our spirit. And then we start to see the breadth and the depth and the length and the height to commit ourselves to the spirit of cultivating. And when we do, we spend time with the Lord. The longer we spend time with the Lord, we start to see our depth of spiritual understanding grows. We start to see our thirst for things of the Lord grow. His nature starts to grow in us. You might start, you know, for, for men, again, I can relate to, I've shed tears from this pulpit, you've seen it. If I was unsaved, or even when I was saved for years, I would have said, do not ever let that happen here, Lord. Because for men, that is a sign of weakness. Guess who wept in the Bible? Jesus. Who of you would say to Jesus, you're weak? Which one of you men would step up to Jesus and say, I saw you crying over Jerusalem? <laughs> Dude. Which, which, who would be bold enough to go, or dumb enough to go say that? Right? That's really weak. 
I mean, I feel dumb. I, feel, I don't even like saying I'm just saying to get you to understand that our mind is warped by our own flesh. Our flesh thinks things that are completely contrary to the nature of God. Whoever said it was weak? The world did. Because guys that are physically strong but have no spiritual depth said it. Right? God's not impressed with Napoleon or Genghis Khan or anybody else that's ever been in human history. Right? But Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He wept over Lazarus. Why? Because souls mattered to him. And when you get in touch with the heart of God, souls will start to matter to you too. But until then, you'll never weep over a soul. you say, well, I hope somebody reached them, but I would never shed a tear over it. And I'd never do it in public because then people would know I'm weak. Actually, they might find out you're strong, but not in your strength, but in the Lord. In ways we can't understand, the longer we walk with the Lord, the more we can then believe God. We st- I don't know how much you believe God now, but your belief can grow infinitely beyond what it is today. Does that make sense? I don't know how much you believe in God. It's different probably every person here, how long you walk with the Lord, how deeply you've invested in your walk with Christ, how much time you spent in prayer, but however much you believe, it can grow. And then when it grows, you're, you're better able by the Holy Spirit's power to describe God to people. And then all of a sudden, you say, why did that conversation go so well? Because God was speaking through you. But when you try and use your own logic, it won't go so well. Our mental capacity is not that important. God's flowing through us is. And what happens is you start to get so close to Jesus, you can't help talking about Jesus to people. In 1 John 4, 18, it says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. We're afraid of everything, afraid of what they'll think, afraid of this. And Jesus says, my love will blow past all that. It'll just consume the fears after time. You look at Paul's description here. He says the, the, the width and the length and the depth and the height. He's talking about the expanse of God's love. It's like describing the universe. Try describing the expanse of the universe. Well, is it deep? Is it long? Is it wide? Does it have breadth? Yes. Volumes and volumes of thousands and thousands and thousands and millions and trillions of light years. That's the love of God. The same love. This drove Paul, understanding God's love drove Paul to push through, to push through, to plant churches, plant churches, to pray for people, to win the lost, to get bit by a snake, shipwrecks, all that stuff because his inner man and his knowledge and understanding of God kept growing and growing and growing. Let's look at the next one. Two more. Filled. He goes on here to say that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Isn't that a beautiful verse? Filled with all the fullness of God. What would God do with a person that's filled with all the fullness of God? D.L. Moody used to ask that question. What would God do with a man fully yielded to him? Fully yielded to him. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Again, being transformed. God doesn't just want to bless us. He wants to do what? Transform us. Transform us comes with the blessing. But we're being transformed from glory to glory. What does that mean? It means whatever filling we've already experienced, there's more left, more filling to be done. Glory to glory. Glory already, glory is a big word, right? Glory means, hey, this is, this is magnificent. This is worthy. But whatever God's done that's magnificent and worthy in our life, God says, that, I'm not done. You think you have a five-gallon capacity? God says, as soon as I fill you to five gallons, I make you 10-gallon capacity. As soon as you fill 10 gallons, I make you 15-gallon capacity. As soon as you fill 15 gallons, I make you a 20-gallon capacity of the filling of the Spirit. That's why you meet some people. I, I, we're going to have a guy coming in October, a Sammy. He, he, he ministers to Muslims. I only talked to him on the phone. I've heard him speak one time before, years ago in Charlotte when we lived there, and talked to him on the phone. I get on the phone, and I immediately realized how much deeper his walk with Jesus is than mine. It flows from his mouth. His love for the Muslim community, his love for Jesus, you can't, you can't, you can't as Joe Foch says, you can't fake genuine. You can't fake genuine. 
Now, if I live another 15 years and I catch up in age, maybe I'll have the same depth of love, but it won't grow unless we are staying rooted in the Lord, in him, and then he would fill this. No matter how much sense of the presence of the Lord we have today, God says, I can have you sense it even more to the point where you wake up with joy. It's just there. You wake up at 3 in the morning and you immediately pray a prayer and fall right back to sleep. That's the way God wants us to. He wants us to be in such communion with the Spirit. There's a deeper depth He can take us to. The more we surrender, the more we'll be filled with the Spirit of God and more we'll be filled with the heart of God and the thoughts of God and the mind of God and the love of God. Oswald Chambers, many of you probably read his devotional from time to time. He said the golden rule for understanding in spiritual matters is not intellect but obedience. Not intellect. Doesn't matter if you have a master's in divinity or a doctorate. You obey the Lord, you're going to have more from the Lord. And we're wise to not only obey, but to follow scriptural models of humility. I don't have time to turn because we're just on the sake of time, but in Acts chapter 20, verse 36, you can write this down, Acts 20, 36, and also in Acts 21, verse 5, twice Paul gathers, once it's actually the Ephesian church, uh, at least the leaders, and then another place, it's a group of believers, Twice, Paul does this. He gathers all the people together, and he does this with them. All of them. He gets them all physically on their knees. Why? When Paul says here at the beginning, for this reason I bow my knees, it's not just metaphoric, although a lot of times when you're driving down the road, do not start bowing your knees, right? (laughs) But you can bow in the heart and in the mind. But when you have the opportunity, and if, if, if your knees are bad and you no longer can bow, God gives grace for that. He knows the prostrate of your heart, the position of your heart. But those of us who are still able to bow the knee, Paul physically had the whole church get on their knees. Everyone that gathered there, get on their knees. Right on the shore before he went to Jerusalem where he was going to be arrested, everyone, let's get on our knees and pray. Why? Because oftentimes the content of our heart caused us to do something physically. I'll go serve some children. I'll go minister to that person in the hospital. I'll go do these. But when we bow physically, and if you haven't bowed on your knees in the longest of time, you need to do it this week, literally. Because, Lord, as I'm bowing, may this be start happening more and more in my heart. Get on our knees. This uh, last few weeks, uh, we took the mission team headed to El Salvador and Guatemala. What's the last thing we did, team? We all got on our knees. We prayed. I had our elders get together this week before, before uh, this Sunday service. We had a meeting this week. Right here at this altar, I said, let's take off our shoes and get on our knees. Why? Because Moses did it. Daniel did it. Paul did it. Jesus did it. Why would Jesus need to kneel? He is God. Did you know he knelt in the garden? It says he knelt before he knelt. If Jesus did it, you don't have to wonder anymore. I wonder if I kneel at the bed, if this will actually bear fruit in my life. Yes, it will. Because we're saying, Lord, I'm appropriating on the outside what I want to happen on the inside. And it works both ways. I'm appropriating on the inside what I want to see happen on the outside. Last thing. Astounded. He says in verse 20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, Above all that we ask or even think according to the power. Now, when God says power, we're talking about the kind of power that spoke the universe into existence. We're not talking about the kind of power that, you know, uh, hey, this, this car, it's got a really big engine in it. That's not power. God has power. That He wants to work that kind of power in us. I don't know about you, but I'm astounded and I'm amazed when I read the stories of what God has done through ordinary men and women in the scriptures, in former missionaries, former evangelists, just stay-at-home mom that did great things, Susanna Wesley, I mean, I can go on and on, just amazed and astounded at the things that God has done. Uh, And I believe those people were all astounded too because they would have said, many of them do say in this in their biographies and their memoirs, I can't believe God did anything through me. They say the same thing. People just like you and me that God has infused with great faith or he's infused them with selfless, selfless love, or a contagious joy, or a determination, or a zeal, or a power. 
mean, John the Baptist had nothing but camels, and people came from miles to see this man preach. Why? Because he was filled with the power of God. Filled with the power of God. Even the priesthood, everyone came out there. He, he should have been in the priesthood because he was born in the, in the uh, priestly family. But he had this great power filled with him. You know, John Knox was one of the reformers. And if some of you may have read stories about John Knox. You know, Queen Mary, she said this about him. She said, I fear the pulpit of John Knox more than all the armies of England. Where does that kind of power come from? That a man speaking causes the queen of the world's greatest empire, who was no good for a lot of people. She was, did a lot of harm to the church, right? She said, I fear his pulpit more than all the armies of England. Why? It wasn't because John Knox had anything special. He was filled with the power of God. Has God astounded you yet? Has he astounded you in your life? I'm astounded that I've had the privilege of preaching the gospel and actually seeing people respond to it. Even one would be enough. Do you know that if one person gets saved, all of heaven rejoices? But here's the church. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I wonder what's at the restaurant. That's really exciting, right? I mean, we should be astounded that anyone gets saved because of us. Not because of us, but just that God uses us in any way part of it. That people would respond the same way to you and me as they did to the saints before us because it's the Spirit of God in us. I'm absolutely amazed at every step in my life. I look back and say, God did that, God did that, God did that. I'm still amazed that I have any thirst for the Lord because I know my flesh. We should be astounded at what God does in our life. It's only by His grace. I'm amazed and astounded that God has answered many, many prayers. If He hasn't answered many prayers here, it's time to get on your knees and, and say, God, change my heart. Start to do this work. Maybe you can relate to these things. I hope you can. If you can't, God wants you to say, I want you to be astounded at my power, my love for you, the things I want to do in your life, be more than you could ask, think, or imagine. But you know what? Another thing that might astound you or should astound you is that you've survived some things. That should astound you. You know how fragile we are. I mean, I saw just this, a, a couple of um, weeks ago a, a, a girl in France, the whipped cream can killed her. You spray in the... And, and, the, the power made the can hit her in the chest, killed her. A whipped cream can. You, were, you might be rethinking your whipped cream cans for 4th of July now. I was going to put that on blueberries, and I was going to have red, white, and blue, and all that. It's okay. God's in control of our life. You never know what could happen. But we've also survived many things. You might, you might have gone through things you thought you could never endure. By the way, you didn't endure it. God helped you endure it. I know for me, looking back, I think there's things I could have never done if it wasn't for the Lord. I, I'm, I'm not taking, saying this just kind of stretch. I'm saying it without a doubt. I know I wouldn't have made it were it not for the Lord. Maybe you're in something right now. God wants to astound and amaze you and carry you through it. You know that old thing, footsteps, where you know the, the, the sand and you look back and you didn't carry yourself? You don't. You need the Lord to sustain you. He's doing more through the things in your life, then you'll be able to understand, but you'll understand them later. We have to wait. We have to see. Peter said in 1 Peter, listen to this verse. It's a comforting verse, 1 Peter 5.10. But may the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. See, God wants to take you through some things to astound you, and that will settle you, because then you start to realize, oh, God's bigger than all these things. We'll be amazed, we'll be astounded, but we'll more than just survive, we'll go on to see great victories. David didn't survive his being hunted by Saul to just survive, he survived to go on and do the work of the Lord. We'll see lives change, we'll see miracles. Some of you will see your prodigals return. You'll be astounded, you'll say, how did that happen? They never listened to me, but they listened to some guy in Texas. Weird. That's the way my family felt when we got saved in Miami. They're like... We couldn't convince you to even listen. You go down there, you say there's no Christians there, and you find some. And they find you, and they take you to church, and you get saved. Makes no sense. We're astounded how God works. If we hold tight and simply believe. Rome, Paul told the Roman church, Romans 16, 20, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. That's a mighty work, isn't it? Paul said, hang in there. 
He'll crush Satan under feet. You just press into the Lord. I'm going to wrap it up here. I put those five things on a tree that's planted by the rivers of water, if you will. Psalm chapter 1. If we say, Lord, that prayer from Paul is our prayer too. That list you could do for any Ephesian, you can do for any of us in this room. That we can actually invest in our prayer life. We can get on our knees and pray. And if you can't get on your knees in your literal body, you can get on your knees in your heart. And when these things happen, and we really do say, how great thou art, is the cry of our heart. God, the roots will grow deep, and that tree, although it's a silhouette there, would actually be filled with fruit, and love would be the greatest one. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we, we want to close in reading these words. In verse 21, to him be glory, and the church by Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Lord, the, the work you want to do in us is not for us, although you do it for us because you love us, but ultimately, it's for your namesake. It's for your glory. And Lord, we need to have an appreciation of your grace, a holy reverence for your power and your sovereignty and your authority in our life. Lord, a great gratitude for the blood of Jesus. And Lord, these things should bring us to our knees, bowing before the God of heaven, for we are the sheep of your pasture because of your amazing grace. And Lord, I pray even now that you would just recenter our hearts. And Lord, if is anyone in this room that is still not surrendered to you, first for salvation, but Lord, those that have been saved and they used to bow before you, but now they've been bowing to the world, but not to you. Lord, every person in this room would return to bowing at the foot of the cross. We'll be taking the Lord's Supper, Lord, that it would be meaningful as a place of recommitment and resurrender to you. I ask this in your name. Amen.